Hey everyone, welcome back to All About the Triad. My name is Kelly Lee. My name is Javante Van Monte. And as promised, we will be going more in depth about the biochemical effects of the triad. And not only that, we're also going to be having two guest speakers, Dr. Nicole Strocht and Dr. Arthi Surya, to further explain these effects and how they present in a clinical setting. Right, so before we get started, it's important to note that Reproductive dysfunction occurs in both men and women. Yeah. You know, falling on a spectrum from healthy to unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So in women, this can basically be shown as menstrual disturbances. Um, If you want to get really sciencey, there's like luteal phase uh, defects, oligomenorrhea, amenorrhea. So a typical menstrual cycle occurs every 28 to 35 days. And the primary hormones um, would be estrogen and progesterone. These uh, can be measured in urine and blood as estradiol, Mm -hmm. sorry, that's a tricky word, and progesterone. And in a normal menstrual cycle, estrogen production increases in the first phase, so the follicular phase. Then during the ovulation phase, there's a peak of luteinizing hormone signals which signals to the ovaries to release an egg. And then in the second phase, also known as the luteal the luteal phase, yeah. <laughs> there is an increase of progesterone reduction to signal for menstruation. Progesterone production. Not, not reduction. You're right. My bad. Progesterone <laughs> production to signal for menstruation. Yeah. So the increasing severity of the spectrum of menstrual disturbances in athletes um, goes from ovulatory, which is what we want, which is normal, um, to luteal phase defects, um, and then anovulation, which is subtle and no change in your cycles, um, and then going to oligomenorrhea and amenorrhea. So these are the most severe end of the spectrum, and there are changes in cycle length. Oligomenorrhea is like very sparse, um, longer than 35-day cycles, and amenorrhea is when you have Um, a loss of your period for a period of three months or more. And remember, losing your menstrual cycle is not normal, you know. We really want to emphasize that. Exactly. This really just means that your body is not properly fueled and that that there really is not – that there is an energy deficiency. Yeah. And, you know, um, the triad affects the reproductive function – in testosterone, sperm, and sex drive, kind of like what we were talking about before, um, you know, Dr. Surya will definitely be going more into how this shows up in men, but it's a lot harder to detect in men, and um, that's the sad thing about it. Mm-hmm. So, as mentioned before in the first episode, you know, one of the biggest things about the triad is the effects of your bone health. Yeah, so when you're not eating enough food, your body doesn't have enough energy to maintain healthy bones, healthy and strong bones. Mm-hmm. And in fem- in I'm sorry. And in female athletes, they're at much higher risk for bone loss since not only is there an energy deficiency, but there's also going to be an estrogen deficiency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which in common which in combination can really be detrimental for bone health. So what usually happens is that in bone remodeling, there's a bone formation and resorption phase, and in normal bone remodeling formation, um, the amount of bone being resorbed um, is going to be equal to the bone being formed. Right. So what typically happens when you have 
poor estrogen status is that there's an increased breakdown, but not enough formation. Mm -hmm. So there's like a net loss. And when you have a poor energy status, there's a decrease of your IGF-1s. Which is the um, internal growth factor. Mm -hmm. And this decreases bone formation, meaning that there won't be enough to cover what was resorbed. Yeah. So... And when you put poor estrogen and energy status together, there's going to be an increased bone breakdown and decreased bone formation. So your bone is going to be at a loss because there's there's no bone being built anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this could lead to stress fractures and osteoporosis. And osteoporosis is a disease that affects the density and the quality of your bone. And your bone is really just continuing continually being diminished and this can lead to a lot of functional long-term limitations and possibly reduce the quality of life so it's really important to get enough energy and fuel yourself properly and it's also equally important to catch this early on because bone is really hard to recover mm-hmm. so now that we've explained the biochemical aspects of it all we would like to introduce our guest speaker, Dr. Nicole Strock and Dr. Arthi Surya. Hi, Dr. Strock. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, All About the Triad, today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Thank you guys for having me. My name is Nicole Strock. I'm uh, now a postdoc researcher in the Women's Health and Exercise Lab, mm-hmm. working with Dr. Mary Jane D'Souza and Nancy Williams, who are uh, renowned uh, researchers in the field of female and male athlete triad. So um, I'm super excited to be here to talk to you about the triad. Yeah. Well, so our first question we wanted to start with, well, how does nutrition and feeling inadequacies set the stage for the triad? Sure. So essentially, fueling is what is going to put you on the path either for health or health decrements. Mm -hmm. So fueling and nutrition is extremely important. And for the triad, what we know based on decades of high-class research is that energy deficiency, um, where you're not eating enough to compensate for the amount of physical activity and exercise that you're doing can lead to some pretty serious health consequences. Uh, in particular, for women, the most uh, studied and, and well-known are reproductive dysfunction and poor bone health. And poor bone health is really the most severe um, outcome of the triad because we really don't know if it can be fully reversed. So if you're not eating enough and um, you're exercising a lot or just not eating in general or Um, not taking care of your body, this can really lead to some long-term consequences. So some of these things would look like eating disorders and disordered eating would um, tie into inadequate eating causing bone issues long-term, right? Absolutely. Now the eating disorders is more on the severe end of the spectrum, which, you know, we can talk about in a a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, disordered eating and and disordered eating behaviors where uh, individuals might be actively trying to uh, restrict their food intake or um, 
they are not satisfied with their body shape. And so controlling the food that they're actually bringing in or even, you know, over-exercising, um, that can lead to this energy deficiency, which then again leads to menstrual issues for women, Mm -hmm. um, and poor bone health. How would you see this in like a male athlete? So male athletes, you know, are, are certainly different. I mean, men are different than women. So with men, what we now know, so the male athlete triad is a a newer, um, term. It's, it's relatively recent compared to the female athlete triad, the male athlete triad, um, can present, uh, if we're talking about disordered eating, um, sure. There's going to be some, um, you know, disordered eating behaviors, but a lot of of what we might see psychologically may actually be revolved around the drive for leanness or muscularity. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than women who are really more, um, what we see in the lab is that women typically have this more drive for thinness and, you know, trying to make themselves smaller to fit a certain uh, physique that Mm -hmm. they might see as being, um, you know, beneficial for performance. And now, you know, with women, we have the reproductive dysfunction as, you know, you could lose your period completely, or you could have long and irregular cycles for men, obviously men don't have periods. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a little bit harder for uh, us to be able to tell what's going on with the men reproductively, but we can look at, um, sperm. So the quality of the sperm, um, shape, size, number, uh, the way it penetrates through uh, cervical mucus. There are some um, uh, tests that we can run in the lab to look at that. Um, so something called oligospermia. So when you have kind of poor sperm quality, um, also libido, so sex drive. So that is uh, reduced in men that are energy deficient and testosterone. So testosterone is the big reproductive hormone in the men that gets impacted Um, which contributes to, you know, the low libido, right? And for bone, uh, bone will present pretty similar to women. Um, So you can have bone stress injuries. So these are kind of like bone stress injuries can, uh, it's essentially a a range or a spectrum of uh, issues related to the bone. So it could start off as shin splints, then it goes into a stress reaction, then stress fracture, and then you could have just an overt break. So um, these also show up in men as well. Um, Men, uh, what we're now seeing is that men are more resilient to energy deficiency compared to women. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that it takes a more severe deficit in men uh, for us to be able to see reproductive and bone health issues. Whereas for women, energy, it doesn't take that much of an energy deficit for us to start seeing these um, subclinical menstrual disturbances or clinical menstrual disturbances and and poor bone health. Um, So it's really interesting. The male athlete triad is new, um, but there's a lot of research that's starting to pop up. Would Uh, you um, say that it's harder to test men for the male athlete triad than it is for women? Well, it is new. So uh, with the women, right, we have had several, 
what we call um, expert position statements or consensus statements where um, the literature and the state of the research and what do we know has been evaluated um, quite extensively. And we're only just now learning about the men and actually um, pretty soon, Dr. D'Souza and um, colleagues will be um, publishing a, a consensus statement for the male athlete triad. And part of it is being able to identify and um, uh, deal with the male athlete triad and what is the state of the research. So it's newer, I mean, and again, men are different. So mm -hmm. things that we know in women might not be the same uh, for men. So the cutoffs that we had traditionally used, which we now know don't work for women, mm -hmm. um, we, don't, we don't really know what is the level of energy deficit that really will um, uh, result in these changes. And um, I feel like a lot of the times when you see people that have the, the bone stress injuries and stress fractures, they're already well along um, the severe side of the spectrum. And so from there, it's working more on treatment and how can we help these individuals get better. How would you say a male athlete try or like a male athlete starts to realize that they're going through the tribe? Like what, what's a key marker of that? So I would say paying attention to, uh, you know, your sex drive. Um, so men typically should, if things are going well, they might wake up with morning erections and that's a normal thing. And so if you are training for uh, an event or you're in the middle of a competitive season and you start to realize that like, oh, well, not usually getting these, you know, morning erections that I would usually get, that might be something. Or if, you know, you aren't uh, the oh, sexual desire is yeah. not as high as it, it as it once was, that might be an indication, right? Mm -hmm. um, psychologically, if you find yourself fixating on, on how you're looking and if like the way you are perceiving your body is driving how you are eating, that might be a, a warning sign. You start to feel uh, shin splints or stress reactions and you're training really heavily and you might not be eating enough. Again, other indications that this, you might be heading down a path that, you know, if you don't change your habits or um, make some changes to your diet, it could really lead to um, consequences that you don't, you don't want to have. <laughs> so how would you explain um, the ideology of menstrual disturbances in relation to energy availability? So energy availability is what we first measure in laboratory settings. And um, you can also measure it in free living individuals. But essentially it's, it's taking a measurement of not only the diet and dietary intake, but also figuring out how much energy you're expending through exercise. Mm -hmm. So figuring that out and normalizing it to your kilograms of fat-free mass. So this tells you how much energy is available based on your fat-free mass mm -hmm. um, that you have uh, after you've exercised, like what's left over. Mm -hmm. So 
energy availability, what we know is, is very important. And those that are having low energy availability um, or low EA, those are the people that typically will start to see um, menstrual disturbances or these subclinical luteal phase defects, anovulation, um, amenorrhea, ligamenorrhea, right? And so there, there was in the past a threshold. Mm -hmm. um, this was developed, uh, did not developed, it was tested um, in, a, in a laboratory setting by Dr. Ann Laux, who did some really seminal research in this area. What she found is that uh, in individuals that had low EA below 30, and again, this was lab-imposed uh, energy availability, in those women, this impacted LH pulsatility. So mm -hmm. the way the menstrual cycle is regulated, it really starts in your brain. So it is the hypothalamic um, pituitary ovarian axis. Mm -hmm. So when you are not getting those signals from diet or uh, energy, your body essentially will start to kind of shunt uh, whatever energy is available to processes that are going to keep you alive, essentially. So that's um, locomotion, thermoregulation, um, you know, that kinds of stuff. And it's taking that energy away from reproduction and growth. So what we see is that for reproduction, the input from the HP um, ovarian axis is mm -hmm. impacted. And this impacts the, the pulsatility. And actually research in our lab kind of disproved this threshold hypothesis that you needed to have an EA below 30 to mm -hmm. present with menstrual disturbances. What we found is that you could have an EA above 30 and still have menstrual disturbances. You could have an EA below 30 and be normal, not having any menstrual disturbances. But what we see is there's almost a dose dependent response. So as uh, your EA increases, that means the less likely you will have a menstrual disturbance. As your EA decreases, the greater, much greater likelihood you will have um, some sort of menstrual disturbance. So work is still needed, but ultimately this energy is an important signal for uh, reproductive health and, and your body's reaction to um, what energy is left for you to function. Reproduction is very costly. Yeah, <laughs> we. I think we've learned a lot about mm -hmm. that in our class, <laughs> right? It's all about reproduction and how how much the triad ends up affecting menstruation yeah mm -hmm. um and cycling back to to bone how would you say um we can recover from the triad we've learned that recovering bone is kind of impossible mm -hmm. but what about like the rest of it so with bone i we don't know if it's entirely impossible but we do know based on the studies that we've done in our lab that a year, a year's worth of, you know, if you give people a certain amount of calories, modest amount, 350 calories a day, that is not enough to prevent bone loss or even improve uh, bone mineral density over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. so we know that 
but we have not tested um, any other levels of caloric intake. So we don't know if we had given these women uh, a higher level of, of calories, let's say if we doubled it, you know, 700, a thousand, first of all, would people be able to tolerate that for a year in a population of women who already have disordered eating? And yeah. so trying to get people to eat enough calories that they're comfortable with, mm -hmm. but also impart positive benefits, that's kind of a delicate balance, right? So we know that 350 calories for a day is, is or for a year, each day is not enough. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other ways that we could potentially help bone. And that's through pharmacological interventions. And there's some really excellent studies that have come out of Mass General and, and Harvard Medical School, where they have been using um, a transdermal estrogen patch to help recover bone mineral density um, in exercising women with menstrual disturbances. And it seems to be really promising. It, it helps, I, I don't know the exact sites, but I think in the spine and I can't quite remember if it's femoral neck or total hip, mm -hmm. these are uh, positively um, benefited such that there's an increase in bone mineral density in the women that get the transdermal patch. Um, so that's a really uh, nice option for potentially uh, for women who try this nutritional therapy first and it doesn't work for them, there are potential pharmacological strategies that could be used to try and help recover bone mineral density. Um, but certainly like just as we've you know discussed in class, bone turnover and, and bone remodeling, this is a, a, a long process. It is not quick. And yeah. so recovery from the triad is not quick. It requires patience. It requires being diligent with your energy intake and nutritional strategies. A lot of times it requires a multidisciplinary team. So you're working with a physician, you're working with a sports psychologist, you're working with a dietitian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in severe cases, you might be working with an endocrinologist. Um, so recovery in different aspects can be achieved. You can easily recover your energy status just by improving your energy intake uh, reproduction. That will take a little bit longer, but we know that it is recoverable. Bone, the extent to which it can be recovered, we don't know, um, but transdermal um, strategy for transdermal, transdermal estrogen might be a really nice option for those that are on the really severe end of the spectrum for the triad. How does the transdermal patch work exactly? Like what, what does it affect for, for you to like gain bone mineral? Sure. So uh, the transdermal patch is giving you estrogen, but it's a, a physiological version of estrogen, similar to what you're producing in your body. And compared to like the oral contraceptive, right? The pill, um, the transdermal patch is not going to be processed through the liver. So what that means is it bypasses something called the first pass effect. Mm -hmm. So when you take the pill that mm -hmm. is metabolized in the liver, and that actually will decrease an important 
uh, bone trophic or bone building hormone called IGF-1. And so with that, you know, even though you're getting some form of estrogen, it's being, uh, it's impacting the IGF-1 production that's coming from the liver, which ultimately can impact the bone. Mm -hmm. The transdermal patch, because it's not being processed through the liver, you're getting that benefit of physiological estrogen, which means that you're not impacting um, IGF-1. And estrogen, as we know, is very important for bone because it prevents the breakdown or it lessens the breakdown because it, it decreases the osteoclast activity. So that's kind of the difference. And uh, there was one big study that had looked at transdermal versus uh, the pill. And actually women that were on the pill got worse mm-hmm. um, over the course of the year, whereas the women on the transdermal patch improved their bone mineral density. So I think that's just a testament to how, um, how beneficial the transdermal estrogen patches. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to keep you here too long. So we just kind of want to conclude and ask you, what would your advice be to athletes to ensure that they're adequately fueled? So for athletes and in particular, like if you're in a collegiate program, I, I hope that you would be working with a sports dietitian. I would hope that they offer that for you. Mm-hmm. If not, I think that seeking out the help and the guidance of a dietitian to make sure, because you know, you might not even purposefully be trying to um, reduce your calories. You just might not know that you aren't eating enough to compensate for your exercise. Mm-hmm. So I think the first step would be to seek the advice um, of a professional that works specifically with designing and implementing dietary strategies um, for different athletes. I would say, keep, uh, keep an eye on your mental health. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly is uh, tied into eating behaviors. And so if you notice that um, you aren't feeling yourself or you start to fixate on your body and you know start to be really dissatisfied with your body shape, that might be an indication that, hmm, I need to take a step back. Maybe I need to talk with uh, a therapist or a psychologist Mm-hmm. Um, who can help me work through this. But ultimately, you know, trying to get a balanced diet, I'm a big fan of moderation for everything. Um, you know, making sure that if you're, you're exercising a lot, that you have snacks after practice or a mm-hmm. training session, and that like you don't want to go for periods of time uh, being hungry. So making sure that you have snacks on hand, making sure that you're eating well-balanced meals, Um, and if you don't know what you're doing, talk to a dietitian. Well, thank you so much for, uh, talking to us Mm -hmm. and giving us a lot of your insight today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Strzok. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today um, on our podcast. Well, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about like what you do with like functional medicine and, um, how it relates to the triad? Sure, sure. So I am a functional medicine doctor. So that means that I look at the root cause of disease rather than just covering up the symptoms that people come in with. So it kind of requires a little bit more investigative work and delving a little bit deeper. Uh, So tend to look at blood work, nutrition, the whole thing, lifestyle, what's happening in the environment. So really looking at each aspect of a person's life and seeing how that could be contributing to the symptoms that, you know, 
any individual comes with, whether they have the triad or not, um, it's still kind of the same approach. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how does this normally come up in a clinical setting in a patient? And like, like how would you basically diagnose the, the energy deficiency part of it? Sure. So with, um, you know, these patients, oftentimes what you're seeing uh, clinically symptomatically is that, you know, they're really, really thin, they're losing hair, mm -hmm. they're brittle bones. So they can show up as like stress fractures, especially like with athletes, like they're constantly moving, but if they're not nourished, then you're very, very depleted nutritionally. And then um, females menstrual cycle dis dysregulation. So with that, you know, in the urine nutritional test, you can look at all the, all the foundational stuff like B vitamins, minerals, mitochondrial metabolites, which mitochondria are the energy producing organelles of the cell. So you can see if they're really, really depleted. And so really you can test all the way at the cellular level and see how deficient a patient is. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, obviously through history, you get a lot of information. So hair falling out, mood, um, brittle nails, skin, losing your period. That's a big thing. That's a big, you know, obviously a red flag that hormones are dysregulated yeah. and that can, and then when you're nutritionally depleted, obviously that can show up as, you know, brittle bones and not being able to recover from workouts, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much can affect every, every, um, organ and, uh, function in the body if you're nutritionally depleted. Yeah. So when, when do patients typically come in? Is it like through like a referral or is it like to the point where it gets so extreme to where they feel they have to like go seek for more medical attention or like if they're really pushed yeah. by someone else, like they're not being like, mm -hmm. oh, this is bad. Absolutely. So, you know, with this patient population, usually there's a lot of denial. So it usually people tend to act like you end up seeing people that are really, really far, like deep into their symptoms that have been going on for years. Yeah. So usually it has to get pretty bad in order for them to kind of come see us. Then they, they may have tried other things, it didn't work. And then they kind of make their way to functional medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I know it, from like working with you, a lot of times you'll ask patients about like childhood history and stuff like that. Um, have you ever seen patients like who have been affected by the triad have anything to do with like any, anything from their childhood? That Absolutely. That's a really good point that you made. Uh, I owe, that is part of the history, right? So I look at every single aspect and usually there's some sort of trauma that hides in these patients and it comes out later in life because when you're a kid or if you dealt with any sort of trauma, you try to just kind of go into survival mode and do what you got to do yeah. to just move through. Right. There's no processing time. And especially when, it, if some sort of trauma happens young in childhood, you don't even know how to process your emotions yet or make sense of anything. Yeah. And so that stuff hides in the body and shows up later as these kind of maladaptive ways of coping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it provides some sort of control in a weird way mm -hmm. to patients to like, really like starve themselves or have uh, like the cyclical binge eating and then vomiting there's that's like their sense of control of what they can control mm -hmm. um, so usually yeah delving deep into you know seeing what were any you know emotional traumas because you can do all the fancy supplements and all mm -hmm. that stuff but if you don't deal with the emotional part 
Yeah. You can't succeed in treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about the whole emotional aspect when, um, when these people affected by the triad do come in, um, what kind of like mental health effects do you see? Like how have they been affected mental, mental health wise by that? So it's interesting. There's two types of people that I see one where it's like, you would never be able to tell that anything bad happened. So they really like shut off their emotions. They're the nicest people in the world, even though like they're falling apart. Uh, And then there's the other one where on the other side of the spectrum where it's like the mood is tanks, they're depressed, they're anxious, they can't sleep, like you name it, any sort of mood symptom, they have it. So it's kind of like two ends of the spectrum, like the other side, like even though they may be like put on a good face for the world, they're still struggling with all those same symptoms. It's just kind of like how they present themselves to the world. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like, obviously like the mental aspect, mental health is like a huge thing in fixing the triad, as you said, how would you, like, would you refer them to a psychiatrist or like, what would be the next move from there? Absolutely. So I think, you know, either a psychologist, psychiatrist or a team of them because sometimes you may need to medicate in the in the short term to kind of help get you over that hump so that they could actually be successful in treatment. Mm-hmm. So it's using all of those tools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes uh, psychologists may use other techniques uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR, other types of modalities that kind of help bring a little bit more balance into the, the patient's like system so that they can start to see things a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think if there's denial still, it's really hard to progress well in treatment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's a process. Um, I've seen that a lot of times, like for the mental health stuff, rather than you prescribing like anything, um, like an SSRI or anything, you'll go ahead and kind of look at what kind of, what deficiencies there are in the body, like zinc or uh, magnesium, magnesium and you would go ahead and prescribe those kinds of supplements. Is that something that you would do here too? Yes, absolutely. So that would be still part of it because you can do all the therapy also that you want, but if you're nutritionally deplete and in order to make your neurotransmitters, like you said, Jamathy, like if you don't have B6, you don't have iron, you don't have uh, like magnesium or zinc or the right balance of copper, you can't literally make what you need to make. And then it's really, it's just an uphill battle then, right? So you can- do all the therapy, but if you don't have the support or foundational strength to actually make what you need to, you can't make those cognitive changes then. Yeah. So in terms of recovering from the triad, like what would you prescribe? Like a lot of, we've actually talked about this in class where um, like a lot of physicians, they wouldn't really know what's going on. So they'll try to prescribe like an oral contraceptive. Yeah. Like, is that something that you would do or no <laughs> yeah that's what we yeah, talked like, about exactly, exactly it's like birth control pill no like it doesn't like, don't go not, that way exactly okay good they are teaching you that, that, that yeah, right right we're, yeah we're learning that that's not the way to go about it right yeah because that's masking a symptom right and you know that comes with its own set of side effects down the line so uh, no, for birth control would not be my first uh, go-to. It would still be like what we kind of talked about. So looking at the nutritional status, look, fixing that stuff first, 
making sure they're seeing a dietitian alongside because if they're they're likely very nutritionally deplete. Mm -hmm. So um, working with a dietitian to help kind of start to nourish them and kind of build healthy habits in terms of how to eat. And then I think the psychology piece is key because if they can't get over that hump, it's going to be really hard for them to start to, you know, take in what they need to take in. Yeah. So do you ever like work with the the coaches of the athletes? Because a lot of times um, what, what we've seen in class and like through our own research is that coaches kind of play a big role in getting these athletes to that mm-hmm. point where they're experiencing the triad because they're constantly pushing and they're like, the more weight you lose and less um, you eat, that's the better thing for you. Yeah. So what I end up seeing most of the time is the parents are the most concerned. Yeah. So they've almost taken like a hiatus from the the athletic stuff Uh and are trying to get on their road to healing. Mm -hmm. So it's more with the parents and then making sure that they actually have a supportive community or supportive uh, family or friends that they can lean on because it isn't just a one person, um, you know, job to heal. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of giving them the whole network so that they feel supported because otherwise it's too scary when you feel alone. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to heal. Yeah. Um, kind of going into like the long-term aspect of this, I guess, if left untreated, or even if you just start to treat it, um, what are the long-term effects going to be that you see like clinically when people have experienced a triad? So infertility can be Mm -hmm. one, um, osteoporosis, fractures, uh, just severe hormonal imbalance uh you can then it can show up as like cardiac issues if you're really depleted nutritionally like you name it any system could break down um can you talk more about the infertility because i know that's like the biggest thing for women you know like a lot of women want to have children and um when the reproductive system is like kind of one of the first things to fail like that's really scary so how does how does this cause infertility So when you end up depleting yourself of nutrients and fat, right, the the body system senses a threat. We're still wired like our ancestors. So it's very stressful to a woman's body to not have nutrition and not have enough adequate calories. So your body is like, well, you don't have enough to sustain another life. I'm just going to start to one, decrease your, your menstrual period, um, you know, make you infertile essentially, because I'm trying to save you first. You don't even have the goods to have like support life right now. Mm -hmm. So really the body senses a fight or flight kind of situation. So women are way more susceptible to these types of, um, stressors. Mm-hmm. if you will then men are because we were just meant to carry life you know and if you can't carry life properly then it's going to show up as infertility yeah mm-hmm. and how would this um like show up in men Because like a lot of people know I feel like more about the women's aspect than the men's mm-hmm. aspect because it's like you can't really see it in the men like they don't have a period to lose exactly you're right so it can show up as like the testosterone deficiencies so it can show up as fatigue low libido um, hair loss, even, um, just difficulty putting on muscle yeah. that type of stuff. So that would be In your practice. Have you worked with a lot of male athletes who have experienced the triad? 
We've got a couple, but I would say it's more, I guess, the mood stuff that I'm seeing mm -hmm. uh, that they're they're experiencing, not the fractures or the osteoporosis mm -hmm. type stuff. And they're pretty good, for the most part, pretty good eaters. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say it's more just the intensity of the, the practice and not recovering well. Um, so sleep and things like that are off. Mood is off. Mm -hmm. And what were like key markers, I guess, for them to recognize that they were experiencing the triad? So some of the similar symptoms that I was um, mentioning before, so difficulty recovering after workouts, you're not sleeping well. Um, if you're not sleeping well, you're not repairing. If you're not repairing, then it's showing up as yeah. mood. Um, it could be changes in weight even, uh, like weight loss, weight gain. Um, you can have like salt cravings, sugar cravings, mm -hmm. changes in your um, libido, hair loss, anything, like any hormonal symptom you can have, um, any mood symptom you could have. And then um, when you're not repairing down the line, eventually, you know, that can lead to kidney stuff, liver mm -hmm. issues, cardiac issues. So. So another huge thing that we've been learning in class is not only like are there going to be menstrual disturbances or um, hormonal disturbances? But a huge thing was bone. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about like the biochemical aspects of like what happens to bone when you are energy deficient? Yeah. And also like how to recover it mm -hmm. too. So you, bone is interesting because it's not only nutrition related, but it's also hormone related. So mm -hmm. If you are not absorbing the nutrients from your food as well, either because you're just not taking in enough or um, your GI tract isn't absorbing enough, mm -hmm. that can show up as um, uh, bone issues. So your um, bone can start to turn over a little bit because your, your body's trying to get some more minerals from it. So mm -hmm. it can break it down, but then it's not building it back up. Mm -hmm. So that can show up as easy to fracture down the line, you know, osteoporosis, where the bone is actually really, really thin. Um, and then it's also related to your hormone health. So if your hormones are depleted also, that's another like way that your um, bones can be prone to fracture. Mm -hmm. So recovery would include just like really optimizing your nutrition. Um, you know, I don't use meds personally, because we I haven't seen it that like a case that that's severe. Mm -hmm. but um the key is nutrition so i get them in with our dietitian asap to really start to nourish them so that can look like things like meat broth mm -hmm. um, because sometimes they're just not even ready to take in meals so mm -hmm. meat broth is pretty um calorie dense and then can get some minerals in there as well yeah and then um just slowly like smoothies and soups just as gentle as you can and then start to build them up once they start to get a little bit stronger. Um, how would you recover the, like the bone aspect or can you? Cause we've been learning that it's like almost like impossible if not like very, very difficult. Once you kind of get there, there's mm -hmm. not really much going back. Exactly. So it's very difficult once you get to that stage to recover. So the key is really catching it earlier so mm -hmm. that you don't get to that point because you know, our body is resilient to a point. <laughs> um, but if you push that limit, then it's really hard to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Well, okay. Another thing that I wanted to ask is just that. Um, so we did a poll on our Instagrams mm-hmm. and it was about like whether or not you knew the triad. And I, we feel like there really has not been that like, there were like 10% of the people, like even less actually, who said they knew what it was mm-hmm. or they had like a slight idea of what it was. Like most of the population, um, they don't know what it is. And I feel like that's really important, especially like given like our late teens mm-hmm. and 20s, like we know a lot more, we have a lot more access to like the internet and mm-hmm. science, um, but we still don't know what it is. And which- it hasn't been like as publicized as much. Like, I guess my question is, like, why do you think it isn't as publicized or not as many people are aware of the triad? It's a good question. I think, like, when you're in a, like, athletic situation, mm-hmm. the emphasis is on performance. Mm-hmm. And you do, like, an athlete's mind is so different than a regular person's mind. Yeah. And they will do whatever it takes to get what they need to do in practice or, you know, in a game situation or a performance situation. Mm -hmm. So there's no emphasis in that setting, I feel like on health, rather it's more on performance. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay, like in our culture also, I would say that the period is also kind of like not looked at as a vital sign. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a vital sign. If you're regular every month, okay, it's right, you know, you don't have a lot of PMS symptoms, that is a sign of good health. But that's not in our culture right now. So that's why I think it goes under the radar when like a female athlete loses her period. It's like, oh, that's normal. Yeah. And if you're in a situation where all your friends are also athletes and in the same thing, it's not on your radar to think that that this is abnormal or oh, this is great. I don't have a period I have to deal with every month. You yeah. know, that's sometimes one of the other, the flip side of it. It's not looked at as a, as a marker of health. Yeah. So I think awareness, like looking at that, I mean, there may even be like female male coaches, right? To female athletes. Mm-hmm. So they're probably not like the comfort level might not be there to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess just educating, like, you know, you guys are learning about and teaching that's probably the key to get it more yeah yeah it's still just sad to see because like we're we're like a class of 20 Mm -hmm. you know and um we're being taught by Dr. Mary Jane D'Souza who is like one of the like six key researchers Mm -hmm. of the female and male athlete triad but not everybody has access to that exactly Exactly. Um, so yeah inspired me maybe I'll do a post about it (laughs) That would be wonderful. You know, I'd love to see that pop up on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good good topic. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Surya. Thank you for having me. That was really nice.